Welcome to The Form Guide, inspiring conversations about our mental health and well-being. Next up, we're going to hear from Dr. Marcus Rennie, well-being champion, champion of well-being, and founder and CEO of The Human Edge. Enjoy. So, Dr. Marcus Rani, that song, uh, Dr. Beat, was selected personally for you from the 80s. Uh, what do you reckon? Absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, as I mentioned to you, we're uh, kind of putting together an 80s playlist of, of tracks for the form guide. But, uh, you know, you being a, a proper doctor, uh, that was the only track. I had to go and buy that one this morning, actually. It wasn't in my collection. <laughs> Uh, that that uh, lived up to all of the expectations. <laughs> Fantastic. Brilliant. So, Dr. Marcus Rani, you are founder and CEO of The Human Edge. Uh, you are a lot of other things. You're previously the GM for Thrive Global uh, in India. Welcome to the Form Guide. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Rob. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. This is something really cool. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So we're going to start with the question that I always ask that I'm sure you're expecting me to ask you. And that question is, how are you today? Um, I'm a six out of 10 today. I'm slowly recovering from a bit of low form last week. You know, the combination of hay fever uh, and long COVID has been affecting my sleep and my breathing, which has been dragging my form down. So six out of 10 actually is lower than normal for me, but actually in the right direction. So, uh, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about that. But what's your score today, Marcus? I think I'd be a seven, actually. Um, maybe an eight after that song, which is which is great. Testing <laughs> to the power of music. But seven out of ten, like I was sharing with you prior to us going live, uh, this week has been really a bad one. I'm sure everyone watching would be aware of what's going on in India. The second wave has uh, hit us pretty bad with the triple mutant variant that we're seeing. And uh, I've been doing my frontline work again uh, as a clinician, something I did in the first wave before I fell ill with the virus and then took some time off. But uh, things have really gone bad. So last week was bad. I, you know, by Friday, Saturday, my score was probably four to five out of 10. Um, and just through the exhaustion, phone nonstop ringing, et cetera. But I took some time on Sunday. Uh, I took a, a leap out of everything that you talk about, about self-care and self-love, not being selfish. And I took some time on Sunday and, and uh, this week has been more mindful. I'm trying to balance my energy better. And so I'm, I'm doing good today. Thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, thank you for all you're doing. And I, I know it's it's pretty challenging uh, out there. Do you uh, do you see light at the end of the tunnel or is it a bit of a journey to get there? I think it's a journey there, but um, you know, just judging by official statistics, which need to be taken with a pinch of salt for a variety of reasons, the numbers have started to come back down again. We reached an all-time high, I think, of 320 330,000 cases in a day with 2,000 plus deaths. Wow. Um, it's a big numbers, but the the situation is improving slightly. We, I mean, Delhi literally ran out of oxygen. I mean, it's incredible to think that the city of Delhi with 15, 16 million people running out of oxygen, which was so prevalent in the air. Yeah. Um, things have gotten bad, but, but I'm inspired by the thousands the literally thousands of citizens that are stepping up and filling the void something that lawmakers and policymakers should have been doing but the citizens are doing it and such great acts of human kindness not only within india but around the world from support and donations and help uh, so uh, we'll get through this as the whole as the whole world will 
Yeah. Uh, it's just our time to really buckle down and, and do this for, for India right now. Yeah, fantastic. Well, you know, I think that you know, we need people like you on those front lines. And I know you're you're a busy guy anyway, and 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 donating your time to do that it's important. So you know, I'm, I'm thank you from me for for all you're doing there. Um, what what does a perfect ten day look like uh, for, for you, Marcus? What 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 stars would need to align for you to be a, a ten out of ten lifetime peak form? Oh, um, I'd wake up early. I'd wake up by five. I'd get a nice run in, maybe not, not an entire, uh, maybe not a 21 half marathon because it might affect my energy for the rest of the day, but I'll get a good 15, 16 kilometer run in, sea breeze flowing in, running around the Arabian Sea. I then have a, a lovely, organic, healthy breakfast with my wife, just the two of us. We go for, for breakfast together. There's this beautiful little French cafe near where I live. This is all pre-COVID, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have that. Uh, I'd spend the, the morning playing with the kids. Um, uh, afternoon at my in-law's house, one of those big Indian Gujarati meals. My wife's Gujarati, and you can imagine lots of food on the table. Uh, I've earned the calories that will go along with that from that exercise. A good, solid afternoon nap, at least an hour. The kids will be sleeping as well, so we get a good afternoon nap. And then um, uh, just evening, watching around, reading some stuff, maybe watching one of your nice videos or reading something. Uh, I, I love reading, as you know, so I, I read some stuff out there. Uh, evening, uh, again, play with the kids in the garden. Uh, dinner at my parents' house. Uh, and then, uh, and then uh, a, a glass of Bailey's, uh, watching a rom-com, a Hugh Grant rom-com. <laughs> With a glass, I know I'm being really precise here, but Hugh Grant Rockoff, glass of Bailey's, uh, just my wife and I doing date night in, kids are fast asleep, and then uh, and then head on the pillow by 9.30 uh, with uh, a weld air-conditioned room, temperature about 17 degrees Celsius, and call it a day. Yeah. Brilliant. I love that. You know, what, what I do love the precision of that, Marcus, but I also love that the fact that that is eminently attainable. You know, that 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 day is in your future. You know, you can create that day. Um, and, um, you know, I think that sounds great. I, I, I'd like to be there for that 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 lunch as well. Actually, it sounds fabulous. Um, so we get, we're going to do the quick fire round, which are questions that you, uh, you you can't prepare for. But if you've seen the show before, you might have had a bit of an insight. So I'm going to ask you if mental health were a. Um, and then uh, you know, a subject as to what it might be a theme. So, Marcus, for you, if mental health were an animal, what would it be? Elephant. It's the elephant in the room, which we're all addressing now, which we should have been talking about for a long time, but we finally got it. I love it. Yeah, uh, and I think the elephants—it's—they're they're fantastic creatures, aren't they? That that herd, that sense of community, the um, you know that they're all in it together, uh, as well as the, the the elephant in the room. So yeah, very good. And then if mental health were a colour, what would that, that colour be? Green. Green. And uh, it's something I learned from you, Rob, when you spoke about the importance of rebranding mental health, which I've really taken a lot of inspiration from. And even the work that I do now, when I present the scale, it used to be the, the, the red to green scale. Yeah. It's now the, the red to blue scale. So we're even 
changing the color, the narrative, the language. And, uh, you know, that's, that's thanks to you for, for inspiring me on that. Uh, my, my pleasure. And I think green is a wonderful color. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely in the middle of my range and, and a, a six out of 10 today. Um, somebody was also telling me that, you know, the idea of, um, you know, spring and green and new shoots, I think, is, is, is the vibrancy of, of spring for our mental health, which is, which is quite cool. So um, you might have already answered this, but if mental health were a food, Marcus, what would it be for you? So this one. Um, pizza, for me, just for, for me. I don't know why that is. I love pizza. Yeah. I am, um, uh, it's, but it's associated with a guilty pleasure with me because I, I'm on a gluten-free diet, as you know, after COVID, I've, I've made a lot of lifestyle changes and gluten-free, grain-free is one of the things. So I occasionally eat it, but when I eat it, I indulge in it and I really enjoy it. And I love the, I, I spent some time when I was young in Italy uh, on an Italian exchange. So it just brings back a lot of memories, uh, good memories uh, for me. So I find that it's just indulgent, it's comforting, uh, and there's some happy memories associated with it. Yeah, guilt, guilty pleasures. I like that idea of comfort food for, for our mental health as well. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of pizza too. And um, actually, gluten-free pizzas are getting better these days, so uh, I, I can indulge as well. They're, they're still not the real deal, though. I, 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 I'm with you on that. So mental health were a song, Marcus. What would your song choice be? Oh, um, it might be any of the 80s soundtracks that you've been playing. Uh, <laughs> It's definitely in the it's definitely in the upbeat section. It's definitely associated with cheesy pop, something I can dance along to. I want to say, <coughs> Whitney Houston, want to dance with somebody. That 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 would be there for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I did a speaking gig for uh, Viacom CBS last week, and um, you know, obviously they're in the music business, and uh, we, it was a diversity thing. But we all had to put our song choices, and somebody beat me to that song because the, for me that song is kind of my a little bit of my anthem at the moment because I really want to be out there dancing. I've never wanted to be on a dance floor as much as I do right now um, because we can't. And uh, yeah. so uh, in the UK, we're fortunate that things will look like they're opening up in the near future. So I'm going to be heading straight to the dance floor but i love that track good choice um so if mental health were a holiday destination marcus where would that be for you it would be in the himalayas Himalaya. i i uh, we went there a few weeks a few months ago now for, for my wife's birthday end of february uh we spent some time i'm a mountain guy i prefer mountains over beaches i'm, I'm a mountain girl i love climbing i love doing all this stuff i love the solitude the wisdom the sense that Time just seems to slow down when you're at, at great altitude and elevation. And you can think about some of the bigger picture things in life away from the noise, the hustle and bustle. So it would be at some small little village high up in the Himalayas. Fabulous. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the mountains. There's something um, humbling about being in the mountains, but sort of restorative as well. I, I'm a big fan of the Alps you know, when, I'm, when I'm cycling. It's just, it's beautiful. So yeah, I'd love to uh, travel to the Himalayas actually. And then finally, Marcus, if mental health were a sound, what sound comes to mind for you? The bowl, the singing bowl. Yeah. 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 For reasons I may not have to but vocalized it's just that yeah. yeah i mean I, the the sound of the tibetan singing bowl is amazing we for the inside out awards rather than give trophies we've we're giving tibetan singing bowls handcrafted singing bowls which was um quite a nice touch but we can't get them engraved because that ruins the 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 potential sound that they make 
So yeah. I'm going to try and put all that together. So, you know, uh, and, and create a scene. So, uh, you know, we're there, we're in the Himalayas, you know, we're, um, there's some elephants just wandering around gradually. Um, it's green. So we're not too high up. There's this green there. Um, we're eating a pizza, listening to Whitney Houston. Um, and, you know, we've got uh, an expert who is going to give us a session on the Tibetan uh, singing bowls. So that, that's my, um, that's my, that's my image that's, that's created from your uh, quickfire round, Marcus. It's a lovely image. Thank you for doing that exercise. I love it. <laughs> no, good. Well, um, look, there's a lot we could talk about. I'd like, I'd like to link this a bit to the themes that, that, that we use in the form score, the drivers of form, such as work and health and stress management. Um, and, and I think that can weave a lot through, um, through the things that you do and you have done. But just start us off, Marcus. Talk us through your personal journey from from doctor to champion of well-being. I uh, I'm a science geek at heart. I, I'm the passion that I operate out of is how can I achieve the most that I can from this body and brain that I've been given, and can I communicate that and evangelize it in a way that others can do it as well. I uh, I grew up in in England in, in Bournemouth on the south coast where my mum's family are from. Uh, I went to university at UCL uh, in London, which is where I was actually born. So it was a big circle for me. And at the time I joined the reserve forces of the Air Force. I was uh, an officer's cadet medical branch there. And that's when I was introduced to these incredible uh, human beings, fighter pilots. And therein, there's this thing that I saw that, okay, they push their bodies to such extreme forces, but they're able to accomplish, you know, uh, tactical precision with what a surgeon could achieve. How is that possible? I did my first degree in physiology, uh, studying extreme medicine and physiology. Uh, I was invited to work at NASA on the human spaceflight program. I, I led an expedition from London to Mount Everest in 2007, where we did a lot of research there. I led another expedition to the Arctic Circle, uh, looking at the extreme cold that it, and stress I led expeditions across the Alps. So that whole thread took me on this journey about pushing the body and learning at the extreme edge. And that's why my book is even called At the Human Edge, which we can talk about later on too. Um, I then went on to study medicine, became a doctor, practiced in the NHS, was thinking about going into doing surgery long-term. And then I met a girl and I followed her to India. Uh, and it, it ended well because we're married now. We've got two amazing children, uh, Aiden, my son, Eva, my daughter, uh, and, but when I moved to India, I, I stopped my clinical work, pandemic aside, uh, I stopped my clinical work and, and did more and more around the management side and the systemic changes required in health. And that's where that journey began from sick care to well-being as I started to unearth for myself and discover that health is more than just the unidimensional lens that we see of modern medicine. In fact, a healthcare expert, a doctor, there's very little health in our care. Uh, and so I started to weave in this more holistic approach, looking at nutrition, looking at sleep, looking at the mitigation of stress, all the things that I first learned, ironically, working with those fighter pilots and astronauts and athletes. Now, all of those threads really came together for me. Uh, and that's why I've taken on this title as champion of well-being and, and promoting this idea that we are more than individual parts and well-being is the individual it's the team and it's the system and, and slowly investing in it and moving levers across those three aspects. 
Yeah, fantastic. Well, what a what a journey, and thank you for sharing, Dad. And I'm really interested, and we can maybe segue into your book as well on this. That this idea of you know extreme performance and how that is underpinned by good well-being. You know, the fundamentals of proactively managing well-being. You know, so those those fighter pilots who are you know handling physical g forces and yet have mental clarity under extreme stress. Presumably, there's a there's a great regime that underpins all of that that focuses on good sleep and good nutrition and all these pillars of well-being that we talk about. What what are your insights there, Marcus? You're absolutely right. It's those simple things, and oftentimes uh, the way I communicate this narrative is is we're corporate athletes, right? A lot of my work, like you, is is, is with large corporations. So when you look at sports players like. Uh, um, you know, in India, we've got this famous cricketer called Sachin Tendulkar, which some people may have heard of, or Mary Com, the boxer, the Indian boxer, the female boxer, mother of, of three, mother of four, 35 plus years, years yet still fighting in the Olympics, etc. And you look at these athletes on the field, their job is actually pretty simple because their explosion is limited to a particular theater and it's for a defined period of time and it's a, a skill set that they've worked their entire life towards us as corporate athletes we have many different theaters we have uh, weeks that last five days six days seven days 12 hours 16 hours 20 hours sometimes and there are all of these unknown vukas the volatile uncertain you know complex ambiguous world that we live in but we don't see ourselves in the same lens we don't appreciate that rest recovery rejuvenation is critical we don't appreciate that the fuel that we put into this machine is directly related to the output that we get. We don't imagine that the, the, the environment that we put our mind in is going to influence the decisions we make at the end of the day. All of these things, simple things, but they are something that I try and bring into this world by showcasing examples of what an astronaut does, what a fighter pilot would do, what a sports uh, woman would do before her big game. What are the 10 things that she would do that in the 24 hours preceding that? And these things we can apply them to our world as corporate leaders, as employees, as managers, as team leaders, etc. And that's the magic of the human engine. It's bringing those simple biohacks, but applying it to our day-to-day lives. Yeah, brilliant. Really interesting, isn't it? I like the way you describe that of the theatre of competition, if you will. That you know, if you're Roger Federer, your theatre of competition is, is is defined, as you say. But if you are, you know, a, the corporate athlete, we're going from one competition, one theatre to the next, with not enough breaks between them, not enough times to recover. Um, and you know that's where we're getting to kind of stress that's accumulating into fatigue, exhaustion, overload, and burnout. And you know I've been talking a lot about this recently because we're starting to get some good data from Form Score where people are tagging what's driving their form. And the two biggest negatives are work and stress management or stress. Um, and I think the, the the issue with stress, isn't it? It's not the stress itself because we need that to perform. It's the under recovery from from stress the the lack of time to recharge and are you seeing that in the workplaces that you you advise on and you work with absolutely and i think a, a useful uh nomenclature to adopt is this idea of distress versus stress or eustress so the good stress as for that new Dodson, is, is important as you were saying it's the distress it's the chronic issue that causes all the problems um when when we started this first wave uh, a year ago now I was conducting a weekly poll in the organizations that I would work with and around 40,000 respondents 
um, data we collected over eight or nine months. And I published this uh, on, on a LinkedIn white paper that I wrote. And we found this really interesting sinusoidal graph where stress levels went down in the early stages because of the honeymoon phase of adopting this new lifestyle and this new mindset. Then the loneliness crept in and the state that this was going to play out for a long period of time and began to manifest itself. And then the stress levels collectively rose in India, not just to high levels, but actually the people polling in the extreme category, which is a score of eight and above, went really high. 37% of people were responding a uh, stress level of eight and, uh, eight and above. It then started to come down, but obviously now the second wave has come, so it's, it's kicked off again. But what we were seeing is that people were recognizing that sustainable habits needed to be built and lifestyles begun to get changed. And I think this whole mission that, that, that people like you were leading to the Inside Out uh, Leadership Board around self-care and, and looking after self uh, has started to create waves of change through industry and through the zeitgeist. Uh, but what we're now learning is COVID is a harmonic event. And all of us at some point will face second lockdown, third lockdown, et cetera. Uh, and so we need to therefore build that, not resilience, I like the word anti-fragility, of being robust enough to weather the storm, but actually end up stronger and better on the other side of these challenges. Yeah, anti-fragility. I haven't heard that expression before. I like it. I think resilience is often misconstrued as strength um, yeah. or pulling the all-nighter or working through without a break, and it's not. It's the flexibility to adapt, um, which is which is quite interesting. Um, really interesting stuff. Um, I want to talk about the book a little bit, um, The Human Edge, um, and um, I confess I haven't had a chance to, to get a copy of this yet, but I'm keen to do so. There we go, at The Human Edge. Um, so tell us a bit about that, Marcus. It's it's fascinating and, and and obviously goes on to that theme of where you originally started with the, the fighter pilots, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So for everyone watching, I'll do a shameless plug. It is now globally available and there's a, a formal launch for the UK happening on the 4th of May at uh, 1 p.m. Uh, British summertime. Uh, so anyone can plug into my LinkedIn handles. I can share the details with them. This book is, is really a labor of love. I actually wrote it for my two children. Uh, uh, before I became a dad for the first time, I started to pen down some collections of stories of the various expeditions that I've done. And, um, and the thought was simple, was in the same way that I love human biology, can I inspire my children to love science through the words of their father? And that's why I wrote this book and it's dedicated to Aiden and Eva. Um, and, uh, and it's become bigger than that. It's become a mission now. And I was very grateful for Dr. Tedros, who's the Director General of the World Health Organization. Uh, he wrote uh, the, the afterword for this book and he recently put a, a publication out on his social handles as well. And in it, he wrote about the importance to inspire the next generation of scientists. And I think if one of the biggest lessons that we all had through 2020 has been the role that science has to play in our lives. And so if this can go towards inspiring a, a young reader in her early teens to think about adopting science as a lifestyle, as a discipline, as an expertise, and creating the next rocket ship that will take us to Mars or the next oxygen canister that can create oxygen out of thin air in the, in the, in the deserts or water from the dry heats of the Sahara, all of those problems that we need to solve for in our lives going forward. And if this can do a little bit of that, then, then, I, then it will be a work worth, worth doing. And it's been six years in the making to create this, but 
I'm really proud of, of what we've achieved in this little time already. Fantastic, I love it, and um, some some great uh, love on the on the LinkedIn live from uh, from Alex Leon and and Jane Amanda. Thanks for contributing. Um, so we can get hold of that in the UK, um, and it's going to be launched next week, which is great. I know it's diff difficult to synthesize a body of work like that, but what what are the sort of lessons we can learn from from those expeditions in in the book? What 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 are those sort of sound bites that could inspire us, Marcus? Yeah, so the structure that I chose to use this, um, I think, is quite interesting, and a lot of people have, have given good feedback. There are six key chapters. There's Everest, there's the South Pole, there's going to Mars, the Sahara Desert, the Mariana Trench, and, um, uh, and running a full marathon. And each of those chapters have been written where I put you, the reader, in the shoes of the protagonist. So you will physically climb up Mount Everest. What does base camp look like? Camp one, camp two, etc. And as you go on this physical journey, I take you on a journey within. What's going on in your cellular biology? What are the changes that are happening? What are the challenges that you're facing? And how does your body adapt, excel, and overcome those such that you're in a stronger position? So the limits that you then break free. And the very last two chapters, which I added towards the end of this exercise, where there's a chapter on mitochondria, and some of the people who have watched me talk before would know my love affair, my unhealthy passion with mitochondria. And I believe it's the future of health. It's what we're discovering that we can unlock not only the longevity benefits, but even curing the chronic diseases that we're now seeing there to be an underlying common mechanism, whether it's Alzheimer's, whether it's diabetes, whether it's cancer, whether it's cardiovascular disease, all of that seems to stem from a common malfunction on the mitochondrial level. So I've dedicated a whole chapter onto mitochondria. And the last one, which I think connects beautifully with form score and the work that you're doing, Rob, is mind over matter. Mm -hmm. And even though we're trying to push this physical frame to these extreme environments, ultimately I've learned that there needs to be a switch that goes off in the, not the brain, in the mind. And I've tried to bring stories of people that have done that and techniques that we can all adopt, whether we want to run a marathon or whether we want to summit Everest, or even whether it's just a more, uh, less ambitious goal, but something that's in our day-to-day -day lives. It involves that first step, that neuronal step that needs to be made. And so there's a whole chapter dedicated to mind over matter. Love it. Absolutely love it. Um, can't wait to read it. And um, it, uh, when, when I was feeling low last week, I, I, you know, I, as you know, I'm a DJ and I was listening to, uh, I think, the Pete Tong show uh, last last week. But there was there was a particular track and um, the, the, the lyrics of this track talked about experiencing depression and coming out with depth. And it, that resonated for me because, you know, you, you experience the lows, but you then do go on that journey within that you, you speak about. And, and for me, whilst I don't enjoy those depths of depression, it does give you that range. It does give you that perspective um, and that self-awareness if you allow yourself to explore it. And I, I, it, that just resonated me within that concept of looking within um, to handle those extreme challenges that you, you mentioned. Yeah, you, uh, you've been very kind to me when I had COVID. Uh, I'll never forget this, uh, particularly in the darkest moments when it affected the muscles in my legs and, and I was not able to walk because of what happened with the myositis. I remember I, I called you up and you gave me such great wisdom of, of how you dealt with COVID and the, and the long COVID effects as well. And what I learned is through that whole experience of, of pain is that 
suffering is just part of the human expression, right? The flavors are different for each of us. Someone may lose a loved one. Someone may be afflicted by the virus directly. Someone may lose their job. There are different consequences to the commonality of the stimulus. But our response is entirely up to us. Mm. Suffering is, is universal, but how we respond rather than react is entirely up to us. And there will always be a silver lining. And the silver lining that I took from my journey was that how often does a runner get to learn how to run again? And so right from the rehabilitation to walk, the pain that was associated with just moving and then slowly getting into the jogging. And then the high of completing a half marathon in a personal best a few months ago after going through that whole journey for myself. That's, you know, it's those moments that I will look back and think that it's been worth it because if, if, I, didn't, if I didn't experience that pain, how would I have ever experienced the joy and the high in life? And I don't want to take away from the suffering. Suffering, everyone is suffering right now to degrees that some of us can't even appreciate. But what I think that we can take away is that there's something to learn within that suffering. Yeah. And we can share it as you shared it with me and was a great inspiration for me to then hopefully do it for others as well. Yeah, and, and you're right. There, there are many that, that are experiencing suffering that we we perhaps can't comprehend or we don't have a perspective on. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm very mindful of that and very aware that that's happening out there right now. Um, but you're right from from those 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 low points. I think the message is that there is hope. And, and I'm still uh, I'm definitely sitting at that low point right now. I can't exercise. I can't ride my bike. I have zero fitness. Uh, I'm putting on weight um, and I'm not being that disciplined um but i do know that there is there is hope and i will get through this physical challenge like you have done and and you know the fact that you've got a pb a personal best um post the the, the challenges you've experienced i think that can give us all hope and I, I think for those of us that are struggling right now with a well-being plan or where they're at it's that first step is the hardest but it needs to be only a little small one and then we can build on it, can't we? And we can you know, then add other aspects of managing our form, managing our well-being to ultimately take the benefits of being more intentional about that. Sure. And I often suggest to people, it's start small, start today. We get lost. And it's, it's really nice to have big ambitions in life. We should all have big ambitions. But I think it's very important for us to distill them down to the biohacks, the tiny you know, James Clear talks about atomic habits or so Ariana Huffington talks about micro steps, etc. There's tiny little steps that you can do every day, but make sure you actually start doing it today because we've seen that if you set yourself up with a challenge and you sell yourself, I'm going to do it tomorrow, 67% of people don't turn up at the start line. So if you really want to do that, that first step of bringing those two neurons together for the first time and creating that linkage, that's the hardest step. So try and do that straight away. Make sure you do it today. Yeah, do it immediately. Brilliant. Um, so very heartwarming message from Jane. Uh, about to go into a theatre for an operation, and this is lifting her spirits. So Jane, brilliant. Thanks for tuning in, and, and glad that we're helping. And best of luck with uh, the operation. Um, so um, there's obviously Human Edge, the book, and then there's Human Edge in terms of what you're doing professionally. Can you tell us what that's all about, Marcus? Absolutely. I... Um... Uh, set up Human Edge as an enterprise organization to work with corporations around the world to bring this message of human longevity, enhancing performance, and promoting self-care and well-being. Those are the three big levers that I'm really passionate about 
And it's a journey for people. So you start with self-care, you move on to performance, and then you can attain aspects of longevity. But that's what we do. We're an enterprise organization. We have interventions, we have assessments, and we're now just about to launch our, our technology suite as well to help people nudge and create change sustainably. Um, but uh, but that's, that's, what, that's what keeps me uh, involved and excited on a day-to-day business, bringing this change and, and advocacy to people around the world. Yeah, fantastic. And so for me, this is a really important point, and I talk a lot about this. I talk a lot about it in my keynotes. I talk a lot about it to organizations I'm trying to help on their journey is the link between self-care um, and performance, the link between prioritizing well-being um, and performance. Um, just expand on that for me, and I'm keen to hear your, your perspectives, and I know our thinking is probably quite aligned on this, but you know, this isn't just a, a touchy-feely, let's look after our people. If we want to get the best out of our people, then focusing on self-care or, or prioritizing well-being is essential in doing that, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, I think there are different ways to slice this conversation up. Um, there are the clear, low-hanging fruit, tangible measurements that one can take, whether it's the return on investment. And Deloitte had a fantastic study, which, which folks would have, would have seen. Uh, there's, the, there's the reduction in, in healthcare premiums for insurance. There is a, a raise in, in, uh, in people's productivity and performance at work, reduction in absenteeism attrition rates, et cetera. Those are all data points which are now much more prevalent. And I think organizations are now seeing that. The interesting lens that I sometimes like to focus a leader's attention towards, because I think the conversation around leadership longevity versus workforce longevity are actually two different strands. And so quite often with the folks that I would coach, the CEOs that I would coach, we look at some of the hard metrics, right? What's the average tenure of a leader right now? I can tell you the average tenure of a CEO in India is 3.6 years, right? The average age of that CEO is currently 56 years, and it's actually gone up by four years over the last decade. So leaders are getting older. Their tenures are getting shorter. Their, com their competition, which is the world of the unicorns and the startups, the average age of a founder unicorn in India is 28 years old. So they're now uh, having to combat fiercer competition from younger people who are trying to dethrone them anyway in a profession which is shortening in tenureship and their aging. Yeah. They clearly can therefore see the benefit of, of well-being into that consequence because to be a successful CEO now, you need to have the wisdom of a 60-year-old. You need to have the mental agility and capability of a 40-year-old, but you need to have the physical performance of a 30-year-old, right? All of that can be done. The science is clear, right? I do it for myself all the time. I've seen it with athletes and astronauts and, and all these incredible human beings. We can do that. It's just simple biohacks, utilization of data, uh, embedding biomarkers and data track, you know, wearable data, all of those things to create those personalized journeys which you can then scale for the rest of the organization. So if you want to achieve the human edge, which is what I'm ultimately doing, this is how I build in that narrative. And there's so much data and it's, it's just so intuitive as well. It's not well-being versus performance. Well-being is the foundation upon which you can build your performance. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, uh, I'm with you on that. And you, you mentioned biohacks uh, a few times now. Could you give us a few examples of, of you know, the sort of biohacks that you're uh, referring to? 
Yeah, absolutely. So in showing when I go to sleep at night, the temperature of my room is 17 degrees Celsius. Very simple, right? All I need to do is turn the air conditioning on. But that temperature, 16 to 18 degrees C, is associated with the most restorative sleep that you can get. Yeah. Right? That's a simple biohack. Um, uh, uh, putting, like now, when I'm with you, my phone is, is not in front of me. So I have all of my attention on, on you. So doing that two or three times a day, that's a simple biohack. So anything that involves a very little resistance to overcome, you just need the intention and you can do it simply as, as snapping your fingers. That's, that's the biohack. And I link it back to the science. And what, I, what I'm not a fan of, although I love people who do it, is um, when they are doing things like red light therapy or uh, like I, I was in conversation with Dave Asprey, who's the father of biohacking. Mm. And he was telling me about whole body stem cell transplant. It costs 190,000 US dollars, but it's got these incredible benefits to his, his biology. Now, I think that's great, but I think that there's a role to play in biohacking for the simple things like controlling the temperature of the room, the light levels in your ambient surroundings, whether your phone is connected to you, what time you eat, how many hours you do an intermittent fast in a particular day. Those are the places that I like to maneuver myself in because I think on a population level, it can create the most impact and benefit. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the idea of uh, whole body stem cell therapy is uh, is intriguing, but yeah, that would be very exclusive uh, to, to not many people could do that. But I, I think you, you use the word intent and intentional um, this is a word that you know I'm using in, in connection with our well-being quite a lot. It's about choosing to um, prioritize, isn't it? It's about choosing to say I am going to focus on well-being, not I will do that once I get to the point where I'm struggling with mental ill health and, and then need to or forced to. It's about actually inspiring people to get on that journey proactively. It's a choice. Everything we do in life is a choice. And it's the journey of well-being. It's not a it's 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 transient, it's evolving, and it's relative. And so my journey, my route that I take in life is very different to the route that you'll take in life. Uh, but it starts with the intention. And we may know where we want to go, but we also can appreciate that we're gonna zig and zag before we get there. Yeah. And, and segueing into Roots, um, you've got a, another startup called called Roots that looks very interesting. Um, what can you tell us about that, Marcus? Roots.life, uh, this is not an enterprise uh, a product. It's a pure consumer product, and people can reach out to me. I can send them the invitation to join it. The whole idea is, as the narrative that we just spoke about, the beautiful bridge in, was it's, it's we are on a route in life, and my route is different in your route, but... What can I learn about your route that will help improve mine? And what can I share about my route that I can, uh, that may inspire and motivate you? So at its core, it's an application that helps you uh, document your route that you're taking such that you can look back, reflect and learn and share and do it with together. So there's a, there's a community element, but we've restricted it to a community of five. So five people can do a route together because we believe that you are, you know, the sum of the five people you spend the time with. And beyond that, we get into the echo chambers of, of larger social networks. So we've designed it around routes of five. You can create your own route, Rob, and you can share that route with me and we can do it together. And, um, and as we build the application, we will then be creating value for those people who are doing it by uh, being able to share and inspire 
and coach and be with one another through those journeys. But it's a long game. We're just getting started. It's roots.life is the website. And if anyone wants to participate in this beta phase, we've got 500 people participating in the early version. You can reach out to me and I'll share it to, uh, to you. Fantastic. What a great idea. And, and, and I love it. It's these, um, the, the commonality of, of roots and what can we learn for other peoples that might be on different but similar journeys or on, on, on very similar journeys. Um, and um, that sense of community and, and being in it together. So we'll, we'll definitely post a link uh, in the show notes on this. And uh, yeah, definitely keen to, uh, to, to learn more about that. And uh, yeah, there's something interesting about roots and journeys as well, isn't there, that we often worry a bit too much about the destination rather than the the route or the journey itself and and actually all we have is the route it's it's the the, the direction of travel the destination doesn't exist yet you know we might have an idea of what that will be but it is just an idea because invariably we end up at a different place because of our route and i think if you if we use the analogy of holidays you know some of our most happiest moments are often along the path that we've taken to get somewhere, whether it's that cute little cafe that we stopped to have lunch with, or whether it's that amazing vista that we suddenly saw when we turned the corner driving to the Alps or cycling along the Alps, etc. It's those little moments in life, which when we look back, often find hold the most meaning to us. Uh, and that's what we're trying to uh, inculcate and capture by using technology for good. Uh, in particular instance. Yeah. yeah. And technology for good. Uh, one question on that, because obviously that's a, a subject that is at the core of form score and, and, and something that I'm learning about and evolving as we as we go. Um, yeah. yeah, tech tech obviously is the can be seen as or how we use tech can be seen as the cause for um, you know, many of our struggles in terms of social media and you know that sense of perfectionism and, and all of that sort of stuff. But tech can be a force for good content if used properly. Absolutely. Technology is a tool. The first tool humans had was words. And look what we can do with words. We can, we can hurt someone uh, through using bad language or, or, or speaking inappropriately to them, or we can create the most beautiful sonnets and stories and memories and, and poems for our stories for our kids. So we've had words, we've had fire, fire is a tool. And look what we can do. You can bring destruction or you can cook food with it. And so our modern day version of that is this digital technology that we have access to, uh, an application, a website. Um, oh, your form's gone up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it has. Uh, it's just been such a, a, an uplifting conversation, Marcus. And um, wow. I love that idea of, of you know, how you know, words are obviously a tool, but how how they, they, they can be a force for good or, or a force for ill. And it's the same with tech, isn't it? We can, uh, we can use tech appropriately to help facilitate positive change. Yeah, the future is not written. And, and I, I often write about things, uh, looking at what the world would like in 2030 for the work I do at the World Economic Forum or the Atlantic Council. And what I, what I keep reminding myself is that the future doesn't exist. It's for us, it's for today, for you, for me, for everyone watching this to create the future, to design the future that we want. And if we can each come up with our own ideal version and share that with one another and have it for good, then what an incredible future we can create for everyone around us. 
Fabulous. Well, what a great, uh, great thought to end on. So one more question for you, um, and it's a difficult one, um, but what would be your one, we're doing this collection of well-being mm. nuggets or pieces of wisdom. What would be your one piece of wisdom, your well-being nuggets that you'd be prepared to share, Marcus? It's always the same. Self-care and self-love is not selfish. Brilliant. Um, that's perfect. I've heard you uh, say that before and I agree completely. So, um, Dr. Marcus, thank you for joining us. I wish you all of the best uh, with you know, helping combat the second wave uh, in, in India um, and all your various uh, ventures. Uh, our next guest is actually this lunchtime. So we've got a double header this, uh, this, of the form guide. Uh, we've got Mark Rowland, who is the CEO of the Mental Health Foundation. And we're going to be talking about the theme for this week's mental health, uh, this month's Mental Health Awareness Week which is getting outside into nature um, and the environment. So that should be a great discussion. But Marcus, great. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Matt.